Welcome back in to the Impact Is On podcast presented by Impact 89 FM WDBM Sports. What a mouthful. What a good mouthful, though. Your home for all coverage of Michigan State men's basketball. Trent Bailey here, joined by Brendan Shabath, Luke Sloan, my guys. This is your crew for the 2020-2021 men's basketball season, bringing you all things Michigan State. We got the inside scoop. We got the outside scoop. We got the in-between scoop. It's a good time. But speaking of scoop, how was Thanksgiving, you guys? Great to see you. Shabath, how'd you celebrate? What'd you do? How you feeling? Uh, thanks, Thanksgiving was good. It was, it was a little different pace this year. Uh, it was just me, my mom, dad, and my sister uh, chilling at the house. But it's always nice to get out of East Lansing and head back home and, and chill there for a couple of days. So it was good. Sloan? Yeah, I was going to say that, too. 2020 has been a pretty weird year. But, like, leaving East Lansing and going back home and still seeing some family – same thing here with me, much, much smaller gathering this year than normal. Um, but just leaving and celebrating the holiday and eating the food um, felt normal. Watching the Lions lose felt normal, unfortunately. Wrong, podca- <laughs> yeah. wrong podcast, so we don't have to get into that a ton. But, yeah, I had a really relaxing day. Um, I'd put my laptop away the whole day and just focused on family and food and football, and it, it worked out really well. Yeah, yeah, you guys mentioned a change of pace. It was, like, crazy. I, it, it was almost a good change of pace. I enjoyed having my family of five and just celebrating, but I was telling Brendan before we recorded, if Christmas isn't a little more normal, it's going to hurt because I love Christmas. I'm a big Christmas guy. But, yeah, watching the Lions get creamed uh, with my family was nothing out of the ordinary. We've been doing that for 21 years now. So, whatever. But um, it is officially Christmas time, so let's go, uh, which also means it is college basketball in full swing. Um, So let's get right into it, fellas. Uh, The Michigan State Spartans uh, beat – the Eastern Michigan Eagles at home on Thanksgiving Eve, Wednesday night, by a final of 83-67. to 67. Spartans shot 43% from deep in that one, letting them fly. By the way, Eastern Michigan's football team with a pretty tight loss tonight as we record on a Friday night to the Central Michigan Chippewas fire up chips. I just had to throw that in there. I don't know. But um, big story of the night for the Spartans on Wednesday, obviously, was Foster Lawyer dropping 20 points, a career high. Uh, he actually – he had his career high at halftime with 17 in the first half. Um, Joshua Langford's back in action. He had 10 points, double digits, three for eight from the field. He played 21 minutes. Tom Izzo kind of rode him out. And uh, Joey Hauser also made his debut for the green and white, scored 15 points, and ironically didn't really hit a three. He didn't get much going offensively until the second half, but 15 points nonetheless. So I guess that's the surface. I want to kick it to you guys. Uh, first question I have here, uh, and Brandon, we'll go to you. Were there any surprises – in the starting lineup that the Michigan State Spartans rolled out. We saw Foster Lawyer, Joshua Langford, Aaron Henry, Joey Hauser, and Thomas Kithier. None of us, by the way, predicted that five. So, Brendan, any shocks for you? Yeah, I definitely think the two main ones would be uh, Foster Lawyer and Thomas Kithier, but particularly Kithier. Uh, Sloan mentioned Foster could get that starting spot. And in the days leading up to the game, we heard a lot from players and coaches about how good Foster was doing. So I don't think that was a huge surprise. Rocket's been – kind of uh, had a bum knee the past couple days. So um, that's not a big surprise that Izzo put him out there. But Kithier definitely was the one uh, that surprised me. We, and we mentioned on the last episode how deep their front court is. Um, so I thought it was interesting that he got that start. Um, and Coach Stevens mentioned it, I think, a couple days before the game, uh, said that Kithier is the closest thing they're going to get to Xavier Tillman as far as being in the right spot defensively. Um, so I think in that regard, it was good to have him out there. He didn't produce a whole lot offensively. Um, he played good defense, but didn't really get in the box score that much in that category. Um, but it, it worked out, and, and they were up big by halftime. So I definitely think Izzo uh, made some good decisions. And it was it was a good rotation. A lot of guys got in. Their first substitution was a four-man group sub. Uh, so we got a good squad in there right away, probably five or six minutes after the tip. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely interesting to see Kithier and Lawyer in there. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting, too. I mean, the first thing that I obviously thought of when they released the starting lineup prior to the game was obviously our predictions. I got the lawyer one right, and then you and Trent, um, you didn't have Thomas Kithier starting, but you did have different fives in there. Um, I think one of you had Malik Hall, and then you both have Malik Hall, I think. But I think this could be potentially a health thing for Izzo. I mean, maybe he wanted to roll with Rock, but went with lawyer instead. Obviously, Lawyer had a really impressive outing, um, so that could potentially change who starts against Notre Dame. But, you know, Rock's health's also going to be, you know, part of that factor as well. And then I really liked your point about Kithier, too, um, Brendan. 
you know, it, it might get lost a little bit in the shuffle. You know, Kithier, this is year three in the system, um, you know, as compared to like a Malik Hall, you know, a Hauser, even like a Marble. Um, you know, rolling him out there for game one, he's going to know where he's going to, you know, he's going to know the right place at the right time. He knows the system inside and out. So that's a pretty safe play for game one. You know, I could see Marcus Bingham potentially slotting in there this Saturday. Um, Juwan Durham, 6'11 center for Notre Dame. Uh, you know, they might want someone with a little bit bigger of a wingspan and Marcus Bingham for that matchup. Um, and Izzo also hinted that he's going to play, you know, 10, 11 guys per game for the first six games. So it could really be a fluid situation. Um, so I I definitely say that lawyer that lawyer start was a surprise. Um, even though I did have that prediction, you know, there was one part of me that thought it was going to be Rock and then Kithier as well. But we've known that Izzo, you know, has been a Kithier guy for quite a while. You know, you guys, I think, hit the nail on the head as far as Foster Lawyer goes. I think that definitely could have a lot, or if not all, to do with uh, Rocket Watts' injury or, you know, his nagging uh, leg injuries, but whatever. Um, I mean, Foster Lawyer could end up being a great sixth man as these more athletic backcourts from the Big Ten roll in. You think about, like, Illinois, you know, like those kind of matchups there. You might want Rocket to start. But Foster, I mean, dude, when you got it going like that, you can't you can't pull a guy like that. And we saw that against Ohio State as rookie year. Obviously, everyone remembers that performance in the Big Ten tournament. He just comes in and starts clipping. And, like, if he's got it going, I, I believe he went six for ten from deep uh, against Eastern. That'll work, Sloan. Yeah, I was going to say, I think a lot of Spartan fans might have forgot this number, but I actually looked it up just prior to the game for interest. You know, he nailed 45% of his three-point attempts last year. Um, I think it kind of snuck up on some Spartan fans, but he's a and he's a stronger player building off of last year. So you know, I, you know, shout out Kyle Turk, former sports editor, uh, former sports director. He said that Foster Lawyer, as a junior or a senior, could be a Jordan Bohannon type player. You know, undersized. You know, maybe a little bit flawed defensively, but just someone who knocks down shots. And I said, I'm not sure about that prediction. I don't know if it's going to pan out. I was the pessimist. He was the optimist. But, you know, I know it's just one game and it's a small sample size, but he looks like a much improved player. And I think the confidence looked really good as well. You know, Izzo has tried to instill that confidence in him for, you know, going on three years now. And he really, you know, I know it was Eastern Michigan, but he lit him up. And I don't care what opponent it is. He looks confident and he knocked down shots. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to be, as far as lawyer goes, really interested to see, especially these next two games, how he performs. I, I think. We'll get into it later, but I do expect him to start uh, against Notre Dame. I think Rocket, he missed a lot of practice this week, so I still don't think Rocket is going to get the start. But there was not a better first opponent than Eastern Michigan for Foster Lawyer. They typically play the zone, and just by happenstance, it's unlucky for them, and obviously we don't want any athletes to be out, but they had six guys out with COVID. They ran an eight-man roster, seven of them, only seven of them scholarship players, and they play that zone. And, and with MSU's ability to move the ball, Foster was very easily finding open shots. And now 20 points is 20 points and 60% from behind the line. Anybody will take that any day. But that's a hard mark for him to keep up. And I definitely think he can do it. But it's going to be more difficult against a man defense and some of these more athletic guards from the ACC that we're going to see in Notre Dame, Duke, and Virginia. And then once we get into Big Ten play, too. But definitely a good start for Lawyer, and I like to see it. Yeah, you bring up some very good points just about the zone and kind of what allowed Foster to get off like, like that. Uh, Tom Ezzo basically highlighted that as the reason that he hit, hit those shots. But also, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's important. The confidence is so key. I mean, for Foster Lawyer to come out and, like, open the season with a bang like that as the best player on the floor for either side. And I know we joke sometimes we say Foster Lawyer could be averaging 30 in the MAC. I, I believe that. Like, maybe not 30, but, like, you know, 22, 23 points. This has been a roller coaster of a career for Foster, too, like in terms of the mental side of the game and his confidence. I mean, in high school, two-time Michigan, you know, player of the year for men's basketball, boys basketball, they call it in high school. But he was on top of the world before coming to Michigan State and then obviously was behind Cassius Winston, behind some other players, struggled to get minutes. When he did get minutes, you know, he struggled defensively. You know, sometimes those shots wouldn't go down, you know, thinking about his freshman year. But when he – goes on a little bit of run and gains confidence. Like in the Big Ten tournament, his freshman year in the quarterfinals against Ohio State, he scored a quick 13 points in the second half when his shot started going in. In this game, really goes on a run in the first half. 
ends up making six three-pointers for the game. He's kind of a streaky player in terms of his shooting, but obviously the consistency showed itself last year with 45% from beyond the arc last year. But it just has to be said to continue to give him playing time and continue to put him in there so he can continue to get that confidence higher and higher just like it was in high school. Yeah, for sure. I echo everything you said. Uh, and, and Gabe Brown also had a fantastic shooting night. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that as well. I believe four of six from behind the arc. And that, that corner, I mean, he's just hot in the corner. Um, as far as the back, excuse me, the front court goes, um, I, I don't really think it necessarily matters who plays the four or five. Not that it doesn't matter, but I think most of your offense is coming from those uh, first three positions in the starting five. So I think that's kind of where, you know, you, if you even just look at the roster and guys, we talked last week how this front court has six guys who are, you know, very viable for playing time. And, you know, we might see, you know, Julius Marble only getting three minutes against Eastern. We can see Julius Marble play 15 minutes against Notre Dame on uh, Saturday. So, you know, it just, it's going to come and go. And this is how time as teams always work. It takes till about mid February to even really solidify uh, that tournament time rotation. Um, but it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that as things move forward. I wonder if uh, Thomas Kithier will start against Notre Dame. I wonder if he'll start in the Big Ten matchups. Uh, but you guys are exactly right. You bring up a great point about his defensive ability and just being in the same spot, not having to change a ton from what you were able to do with Xavier Tillman. But um, nonetheless, very impressive win for the Spartans. So I guess I want to piggyback off of that. I want to ask you guys, who are you most impressed with in this matchup? Uh, I, I got to go with definitely Foster. I mean, Foster's an, an easy one just with his performance. And, and you know, we, we mentioned that he, he shot 45% from deep last year, but nothing to this level. And, you know, definitely it was unexpected for him to get the start, but it was even more unexpected for him to go out there and play like that. Um, but also on the defensive side too, he didn't get on the box score defensively at all, but he was really good in on-ball situations. He definitely is a good leader out there on the defensive side of the floor. And you, you guys mentioned it earlier, his confidence was off the charts. He's definitely a vocal leader. I saw it on the bench a couple times. He's yelling at guys, you know, making sure they're doing the right thing, hyping his teammates up. Um, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Marcus Bingham's performance too. I think he only finished with like six points. But he had two blocks, was all over the place on the defensive end. And he, too, looked a lot more confident. There's so many guys on this team. Aaron Henry, Gabe Brown, Marcus Bingham, Foster Lawyer. All these guys look like they're ready to just bust the floodgates open and, and burst onto the scene, which is really exciting to see. And if they can keep that up, it's going to be big for them. Yeah, Sloan, before I kick it to you, I want to expand on that because that was my guy was Marcus Bingham. I know everyone obviously sees Foster Lawyer's 20 points career high. I think hands down that was the best performance of the night. But I guess in terms of a surprise, I mentioned Marcus Bingham as my guy last week who I thought might be a snub in this rotation. But I, I think after this performance against Eastern, getting 15 minutes, throwing down a couple dunks, he looks bigger. You know, uh, he, he just I, – I think he could definitely carve out a role here. And he could end up starting at the five or the four alongside Hauser uh, in, the, in the not-so-distant future. So um, – I, I, I was very impressed with him, very impressed with Gabe Brown's shooting ability. But, uh, yeah, Sloan, I'll kick it over to you. Who are you most impressed with in this one? You know, the positive thing for Michigan State is that this could really be a number of players. Uh, you know, Brendan, you mentioned Foster Lawyer. We talked about Marcus Bingham. Um, you know, Gabe Brown is someone that the coaching staff has really been high on. Um, they really preached what kind of offseason he had. They really said he was prepared in his shot. You know, he had a good shot going into this year, but it looked even more improved. I thought, in the win against Eastern Michigan. I mean, his release, it, he has an NBA release, um, and I think he's going to be in for a pretty big year, probably in a bench role. But when they need points and bunches, you know, having Gabe Brown come off the bench is going to be a pretty big weapon for this team. But my biggest uh, player who impressed me had to be Josh Langford. Um, I know, you know, 10 points is just kind of a mediocre uh, output for what he normally puts up when he's healthy. But 21 minutes of action – after not playing his senior year and only playing in seven games his junior year. And it really didn't look like he missed a beat. Uh, you know, he was, he looked healthy. He had that bounce that we saw in previous years, you know, was capable on the defensive end. And it just needs to be pointed out how much work he, he had to put in to get back to this point. And he didn't look out of place. He looked comfortable. It was his first competitive action in almost two years. And he looked like he fit. And I know Brendan, you mentioned him last week as your MVP. And I, can I 100% buy in that if we get a, a healthy, you know, a healthy and good Josh Langford, then that could be a major X factor for this team. And I think it started against Eastern Michigan. That was my 
player that I was most impressed by. Yeah, and I mean, for someone who hasn't played basketball, I think it was almost 600 days by the time tip-off went off. Um, that's his, his, just the fact that he was even out there was amazing, but his performance was more than great. Um, I mean, he had 10 points. I think he had two assists um, and shot, I think, made two three-pointers. And he definitely didn't look like the Langford that we've seen in years past, but that's uh, to be expected. You know, he's going to be a little bit slower after the surgeries. Um, he, he hasn't been in a real game for a while, but he looked good on the defensive side of the ball. And I think, and the thing that I like to see was he kept shooting. He missed his first three, three pointers in a row, got it back, immediately shot the next one, you know, no, no hesitation, no doubt. And I think Josh um, is going to be one of the leaders on this team. As far as mindset goes, we talked about a bunch of these guys being confident. Every time that I've heard Josh talk, I feel like he's got the best mindset on the roster of anybody at any time. I think he's a great leader. I think he always believes in himself and he trusts in his team and the coaches. Um, and he trusted himself, too, to make the right play. And I, th I thought he had a really good performance, too, Sloan. Yeah, there were a couple of moments, uh, you know, after Wednesday or during Wednesday's game against Eastern when I, you know, saw him over there on the bench or even on the floor. And I was like, man, he kind of looks like a coach right now. You know, there has to be a lot said about the fact that this is his fifth year in the program, well-traveled. You know, he's been to a Final Four. He didn't play in a Final Four, but he's been there. He's been in practice with, you know, he was here as long as Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman and Nick Ward. He's been here for a while. And that experience is really important for a team that lost Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman to the NBA draft. So I think it's just important having him back in terms of the mindset for the team. He's one of the three captains. You know, they, I was a little bit worried about who that leader was going to be, who that experienced leader was going to be, because at the end of last year, we didn't think X was going to come back. We didn't, or we knew Cash wasn't coming back, obviously, running out of eligibility. But Langford coming back, we were kind of like, okay, there's that experienced leader that's going to kind of step up both on and off the court. Hey, you guys, I mean, you pretty much nailed it as far as Joshua Langford goes. Uh, very impressed as well. Um, I think he mentioned post game that even though he missed his first three three-pointers, as you pointed out, Brendan, that fourth one, he nailed it. But he even said all of his shots all night, he just kind of felt confident about them like they were going in. Uh, and, and his finish also uh, at the rim was a great finish, arguably a foul. But he's just – he's not afraid of that contact, and that's great to see. And I think there was a moment with about 13 minutes left in the first half, so just seven minutes into the game. Tom Izzo subs out all the starters except Aaron Henry, leaving him on the floor. Then about 30 game seconds later – uh, Joshua Langford's trotting back out to get Henry and basically go quarterback the second unit. So that just kind of shows you how much Tom Izzo trusts this guy. He mentioned last week or two weeks ago before the season began that, you know, he believes Josh is 100% and he's not going to hold back. He's going to put the pressure on him. So that's something to watch as we go forward. And you guys talked about his leadership, uh, obviously a captain this year, and he's a very key cog in anything that the Spartans are going to be able to do this season. But um, moving on from that, uh, I want to talk about some of the underwhelming performances in this one. Obviously, still early in the season, getting the kinks out of the armor and whatnot. Um, I assume one of you guys will talk about Rocket Watts, but let's talk about some of the areas the Spartans need to work on. Brendan, we'll kick it to you first. Uh, definitely, Izzo mentioned it in his availability today, definitely the turnovers. And I don't think that turnover mark is something that is going to be a trend for the rest of the season. I don't expect Joey Hauser and Josh Langford to combine for nine turnovers ever again probably this season let alone in, in multiple games. Um, and I, I, they shot the ball well from deep, but it's just – it's a weird game to judge just because, you know, no discredit to Eastern. They're a really good team, and I think they're going to finish. Me and uh, former impactor Joe Dandron were talking about it during the game over text. I think this Eastern team is really good, and they're probably going to finish up near the top of the MAC this year. You know, they got some good athletes and some good guys, but it's just hard to judge the Michigan State offense against a zone like that where – it's hard to get it inside. You're going to get a lot of three-point shots. We really didn't get to see how the offense and the pick and roll is going to work with Joey Hauser and guys like that. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think the turnovers is going to be their main focus against Notre Dame. I'd like to see Aaron Henry become more of the lead dog for this Michigan State team. You know, it was one of the first things that came out of Izzo's mouth once again during the press conference today. You know, Aaron Henry only took three shots against Eastern Michigan, you know, Izzo said optimally he sees Henry getting 12 to, or 10 to 12 shots per game. You know, he is, he's one of the more experienced players left on this team. Uh, you know, one of the leaders on this team on the defensive end of the floor, I'd like to see him become more of a leader 
on the offensive end of the floor. He had a nice game distributing it to his teammates. I think he might have had seven assists, which I think led the team, if I'm correct. But I'd like to yep. see more shots for Aaron Henry uh, moving forward. Yeah, you know, not to compare Aaron Henry to my guy LeBron James, but it was kind of one of those feel-out games for him, I feel like. And he led the team in assists, Sloan, you mentioned. He was great passing the ball. Um, and he, he is just so valuable to have out there, even as a decoy on offense, on defense. But I will say this, I, I, I don't think Aaron Henry is going to have another game with as low of points as he had in this one. I mean, hell, I picked him as my team MVP, so we better get it together. But, um, I mean, he, he was pretty passive, but he did have the first bucket for the Spartans in the game also. So it's not really that he's, um, you know, shying away from the spotlight, so to speak. And also, you know, you got to keep in mind, we've mentioned the zone Eastern runs. It's a little weird. And I, he, he, it wasn't needed for Henry to really take this one over um, as the Spartans cruise the victory. But I think as you see, you know, these Big Ten teams start to play a little more man-to-man face-up. I mean, that's Henry's game, man. He'll just take you ISO, back you down. He's athletic. We've seen it. We've seen flashes of it now for, for two years going on three. So, um, I mean, I, I, I agree with you guys there. I would look for him to kind of explode a little bit more as the season uh, takes off here. Um, we will talk about the Notre Dame game specifically at the end of this podcast, but I want to ask you guys real quick, are there any lineup changes that you foresee in this one in terms of the starting five? I think Marcus Bingham could be a candidate to enter the starting five. Not necessarily that Thomas Kithier lost his spot. Um, you know, I think Thomas Kithier had a solid game, six points, competent on the defensive end against the Eagles. But Marcus Bingham and his 6'11 uh, height and his bigger wingspan than Kithier might be important against a pretty big front line for Notre Dame. We mentioned Durham, their starting center. He's a 6'11 big-time shot blocker. Um, they might want more of a physical shot blocking presence on the boards. Um, or they could go with a Kithier you know, because he's in the right spot more often defensively. Um, I wouldn't look for them to change uh, that Foster Lawyer point guard situation. Uh, Rocket Watts, unsure if he practiced today. Um, I'm obviously, I'm sure he's going to go, but his minutes could be monitored. So I'm sure they're going to keep an eye uh, on that. But I'd say Foster Lawyer would probably still go, and Bingham will be the one in question. Yeah, I think the lineup is going to be fairly similar uh, in this Notre Dame game as it was to the Eastern game. Um, one thing I think is of note, though, is this is a small Notre Dame team in a lot of regards. Small in the fact that they only have a 12-man roster, which is very small for college basketball. Michigan State carries 15 this year. I think they had 14 last year. Um, and of those 12 guys, only four of them are classified as a forward in their official position classification. And two of those forwards are brand-new freshmen who have never seen a college basketball floor yet. Their first name is coming against the Spartans. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Izzo uses that to his advantage and tries out a little bit of small ball. You know, Foster Lawyer will get in there. Um, you mentioned Bingham could start. I wouldn't be surprised to see like a Hauser uh, Hall or a Hauser Marble uh, starting spot. Probably not Marble, probably Hall though with Marble close behind. I definitely think Bingham is going to get his minutes in there. And I, I, I still wouldn't be surprised if Kithier came out to start the game either. Um, but I really think the starting lineup is going to get a lot of fluctuation in these non-conference games, especially in the mid-major games against Detroit Mercy and Oakland and stuff like that, uh, as compared to Duke and Virginia and Notre Dame. Um, but yeah, I don't think we really will have to have a definitive starting lineup probably until Big Ten play. I think Izzo's going to toy around with it a lot, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see some changes uh, against, the, against Notre Dame. I think they could be a candidate potentially for, for more lineup changes. I know I, I did not personally predict that, but it is of note to think that the first subs uh, in that Eastern Michigan game was a pretty much a line change. I think everybody went out, but Aaron Henry, they brought in Rocket Watts, Gabe Brown, uh, Julius, or not Julius Marble, Malik Hall and uh, Mark Bingham Jr. It was, you know, a full line change. Maybe that line quote unquote starts over the four players that they replaced in these next games. Izzo said that he's going to be rotating guys in and out pretty frequently and that we should expect many, many players used, you know, in the first six, seven games of the year, you know, to establish that depth, to give people opportunities to step up and, and rise above the pack and to establish a roster in case of a COVID-19 outbreak. So there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching, and I don't think that's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, and I think for the non-conference games, obviously you want to win every game you play, you know, every time you step out on the floor, you're, you're playing to win. But I think Izzo, as compared to a lot of the other top coaches in college basketball, 
really utilizes the non-conference to focus on his team and his lineup. Obviously, a lot of teams are going out there, and this will always be talked about late February, early March, who beat who in non-conference and where it was. Was it a road game, a home game, an MTE, stuff like that. I think Izzo focuses less on that, more so than he does about his own lineup, how his players are doing, what his team needs to fix, and what his starting lineup is going to be for Big Ten play. Yeah, Brennan, you raise a, a very important point that I think people need to remember is we talked last week about how Tom Izzo walks that line uh, in terms of scheduling. You know, there, th- this is not a cakewalk. We already are going to be we're, – we're going to preview the Duke matchup even, which is happening next Tuesday. We'll talk about that at the end of the show here as well. But, I mean, th- th- they're a top-10 team in the nation right now, and there's no sign that that's going to slow down. So, I mean, you definitely have to keep your mind uh, on that and your sight set there. I mean – Tom Izzo does utilize this non-conference schedule very seriously in terms of finding his rotation, finding his guys. Um, as far as Foster Lawyer goes, I think he's going to start until proven that he shouldn't, um, which could happen uh, against Duke, could happen in the conference schedule, or he, you know, he could start all year long. I mean, he's a captain. He had a great first game, and if he continues to shoot at that clip, um, maybe not obviously 60%, but 45 like last season or even upwards of 40 is excellent. So – I think that's, that's set in stone there, I think, for now. And there's the part of me that's saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I could easily see Tom Izzo rolling Kithier back out there. But as you guys mentioned, I think the four and the five, depending on where you technically slot Hauser, I think that is definitely the biggest area where we could see a lineup change. Josh Langford's going to start. Aaron Henry should start. And then you kind of look – I mean, the, the worst thing Izzo could do, I think, at this point is, is kind of diminish um, Hauser's confidence by yanking him making him come off the bench. So I think he'll be starting as well. Sloan, you talked about Bingham maybe getting the start. I could see that happening. But I could also see him just running it back with Kith Eager. I could even see maybe Malik Hall getting the start. I put him in my starting five last week. So, uh, yeah, Sloan, I'll kick it to you for a sec. I was going to say, um, did either one of you – you were talking about that uh, the schedule not being a cakewalk, but it did get a little bit more interesting today. I was going to ask if either one of you saw the, uh, the end of the Virginia-San Francisco game. Pretty big upset there for the Cavs. Yeah, I, I haven't watched a whole lot of college basketball um, this year, and I think we're, we're going to get into that in a second here. You know, let, let's just roll into it now, I guess. I'll, I'll, well, let's talk about the Big Ten first. Um, so far, everybody in the conference with a win, except for Penn State and Northwestern who have yet to play a game. Um, but Luka Garza tonight, and I say tonight, um, it's a Friday night as we record this, probably Saturday as people listen. Luka Garza drops 41 versus Southern. Um, and that just kind of further solidifies that he should definitely be on the Naismith watch and Big Ten Player of the Year watch and all that kind of good stuff. But have you guys had much time to watch the rest of the Big Ten? I personally haven't, um, to my dismay. I, I would like to watch more, but it's been a holiday weekend. It's been kind of crazy. But I'm ready, I'm ready for the season now that it's in the full swing to get a little better of a look at some of these teams. But have you guys been watching? Have you been keeping up with the Big Ten so far? Honestly, with the Big Ten, no. and. I don't fault any of these teams for it, but there have been a lot better and marquee matchups around the league. And I am a person who I'm shooting for the perfect bracket every single time March comes around. And I always, for years and years, up until last year, I never took advantage of those early season non-conference games, the Champions Classic, the Big Ten HD, all this stuff. So I was trying to watch the Gonzaga-Kansas game Villanova, Arizona State. So I paid attention to the Big Ten and just watched scores here and there. But yeah, definitely impressed by Garza. Ayo Desumu, just like I expected, has gone out and just light has been lighting teams up. I think he had 28 and 10 in his first game. They won by like 90 or something. They had a close game tonight that they only won by two, I believe, over Ohio. But I don't think that's any worry for Illinois. Desumu's been really impressive. Um, Wisconsin has won everything I've seen. I think they're actually playing right now. If not, they tip off in, I think, one minute at 9 p.m. It's 8.59 as we're recording this on a Friday. Um, But, yeah, the Big Ten, you know, there haven't been a whole lot of uh, big matchups against other uh, big Power Five conferences, but that should kick off pretty soon, and I'm definitely going to pay attention to almost every game in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. You know, Brendan, your uh, basketball viewing diet was kind of the opposite of mine over Thanksgiving I took my day on Wednesday and not, you know, it wasn't a great slate of big 10 games per se, but they were all on in a row. So I was, I just said, I'm going to sit down and just make this big 10 day. So I watched Nebraska versus 
McNeese State, I believe. Then I watched uh, Illinois against oh, another school that was pretty small into the Michigan game, into the Michigan State game, and then I mixed the Ohio State game in there a little bit too. Um, really impressed with that Illinois team. I know you just mentioned them a little bit. I still can't remember the team that they played. It might have been NC Central. I can't really remember. But I was, I was impressed with that Illinois team. They, up, they put up 100 on them. They put up well over 100 on them. Obviously, Desumu, Coburn, and Adam Miller, too, a freshman from Chicago, had 19 points in that game. A really versatile wing player. He's going to be able to guard multiple positions, shoot the three. I think that Illinois group is a deep group, and I think it's a well-coached group. Even though it was a game that was never in the balance, you know, Brad Underwood was not pleased at any point with it, you know, with this team's effort. You know, even when they were up by 50, he was still getting after people in the huddle. And then after that blowout win as well, Kofi Coburn was doing sprints and getting a little bit, getting in a little bit of extra work, you know, well after the game was over in the arena. I think that's a team that has a championship mindset and it's a really deep squad. I was impressed with them and I was impressed with Ohio State as well. EJ Liddell had a nice game there, big man. They had a transfer from Cal. His name is slipping me at the moment, but he had 19 points in their game. I think Ohio State is a team that could sneak up on some people. I'm a big Chris Holtman fan. I think they're deep. They have really nice new jerseys, which I think also helps. Um, but, yeah, Big Ten Day was Wednesday for me. Watched that Michigan game. Mike Smith, Shondi Brown, new transfers, both had big games for the Wolverines. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it's going to be a competitive conference, and I think that's showing itself pretty early. Yeah, I caught, I caught flashes of the Illinois game and the Iowa game on Wednesday. I, Illinois looks great, and obviously Iowa has Luca Garza. So we, I, everything kind of as of now has gone as we expected, but I'm excited to see how this picks up. Brendan? I was just about to mention for Sloan that our very own Eric Bach would be ashamed of you for mentioning Ohio State's uniforms as a reason for their success. Why? Does, he not, does Bach not like those uniforms? Bach, Bach does not believe in the look good, play good myth. He's mentioned it multiple times for the Spartans football team and for any Detroit team that we've mentioned. I'm in disagreement with that. I mean, personally, I mean, I'm not some high caliber athlete, never was, never will be. But back in my track and rec basketball and summer baseball days, you know, I wanted to have the best drip. You know, I, I wore the high socks in baseball. I wanted to look like Don Kelly. You know, I don't have a ton of hair, but I wore a headband in basketball. I'm a big look good, feel good, play good guy. I mean, I don't know if you guys are superstitious with, you know, the kind of gear that you put on to go hoop or run or, you know, play any sports, but I'm going to disagree with Bach on that one. Might have to bring it up to him. I do too, yes. You know, I might have to throw myself under the bus here. My main sport in high school was swimming, uh, and I, I always had, like, a bright neon, like, jammer that I that I raced in I just always felt amazing I was like you know if I'm wearing the if I'm wearing the Honolulu blue jammer I can't lose so whatever but uh we will officially put the Eastern game to bed here as we look ahead to the two games the Spartans have coming up this week um Notre Dame on Saturday the Spartans number 13 will welcome in the Fighting Irish uh this will be Notre Dame's first game of the season uh Saturday night showdown at 8 p.m my guys Chayback will be on the call. Make sure to tune in 88.9 in the greater Lansing area or stream it on our website. Check that out. No free ads, but check it out. Um, so, guys, I want to I ask you guys, what are the keys to a Spartan victory here? Uh, and are there any Notre Dame hoopers that scare you? I mean, Brendan, you talked about the lack of depth kind of. Uh, do you care to expand on that at all? Is there any way that you think the, the Fighting Irish come into East Lansing and steal one? I mean, I think the only way – they steal one and no discredit to Notre Dame. Mike Bray is a great coach and they've, they've succeeded well over the past couple of years and his tenure there, but they're on a downward trend. They haven't made the tournament in three seasons. Uh, they finished seventh in the ACC last year. Um, I think the only way they come in and steal a win is, is if they miraculously just shoot lights out from deep, you know, and I, I'm talking 50% team shooting from behind uh, the three point line for the game. Um, they lost. I mean, we thought, Michigan State lost a lot of uh, production with Tillman and, and Winston leaving. Uh, Notre Dame lost three starters uh, last year, uh, all of whom combined for almost 35 points per game of offense. You know, the, the two guys they're returning, I believe, is Durham and uh, Goodwin. Those are both good players. Durham's a really solid guard. I think he averaged almost 11 points per game last year. 
Um, but, th- but Notre Dame's a, a small team uh, as far as depth and roster. Um, their size is particularly small. Um, and they just don't have a lot of production. They're very, they're very young, too. They've got a couple freshmen on the team who haven't seen the floor yet. And I'm sure Mike Bray will throw them out there and try to get them into the mix. Uh, but I think Michigan State uh, should have a pretty good handle on this one. Do you have a score prediction for us? A score prediction for this one? Now, I, I overdid it a little bit uh, last game. We, we all did, by the way. I have to mention, we, we all had the Spartans crossing the 100-point mark, I believe. Um, but what do you think about this one, Brennan? Yeah, we, we overshot him. My dad was a uh, – giving me some crap for it. He listens to the podcast and as the game was going on, he said I was a little bit off, but uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to reel it in a little bit this time. Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to say Michigan state with 83 and I'm going to say Notre Dame with 61. So we got a 22 point victory for the Spartans per Brendan Shabath. Luke, what do you think? You know, this is a potentially interesting matchup problem for the Spartans I'm not sure how this is going to transpire tomorrow. Well, I say tomorrow as we record on a Friday, but it's going to be later this afternoon for for listener land out there. But Izzo dropped a little hint in the press conference that they were preparing for some more zone potentially uh, out of Notre Dame. Notre Dame, not really a traditional zone team on defense, but they might have seen Michigan State have a little bit of struggles against Eastern zone. I mean, obviously Eastern is a zone team through and through. Rob Murphy is of the Jim Beheim coaching tree. You know, that 2-3, that 1-3-1 matchup zone, you know, that runs in the, the Eagles' blood. But it's going to be interesting to see if they face some of those looks against Notre Dame. Like I said, not really traditional for the Fighting Irish, but it could be, you know, potentially problematic. And Izzo said it's something that they were working on a little bit in practice. So, you know, maybe, you know, they put Joey Hauser in the middle of that zone against Eastern. He struggled with turnovers. Maybe they'll replace him with a Marcus Bingham in the middle of that zone to kind of distribute the ball and break down that defense. It'll be interesting to see what kind of adjustments they break out in case of that. But I also have a a win for the Spartans. Not as big of a win as Brendan predicted, but I do think it's significant that Notre Dame hasn't played a game and the Spartans have a one-game advantage on them. Um, You know, obviously nobody has played competitive basketball against an opponent that wasn't other players on their team. Um, You know, you saw – a lot of, you know, cobwebs being shaken off for the Spartans. It could be a similar situation for Notre Dame. I have them losing in more of a 10 to 12 point range. I agree that it is going to be a three point shooting contest. You could see some smaller lineups for Michigan State. I wrote down a little list of some small guys for Notre Dame that'll be pretty good. Prentice Hub, 12 points per game last year. Stanford transfer Cormac Ryan, eight points per game last year. Dane Goodwin, 10 points per game. Those are all smaller guards that are going to start for them. So it'll be a shooting contest, which is good considering Michigan State shot 43% from beyond the arc. I've got an 80-70 to win straight up for Michigan State. I think it's a pretty high-scoring game for both teams. Michigan State edges them. Uh, They have a little bit more game experience, and uh, we could see some interesting lineups. But I, I still think it'll be an interesting matchup, despite maybe not being, you know, as close of a game as we all are predicting. All right, we've got a 22-point victory from Brendan Shabath. We own I, being the, you know, fantastic in-the-middle guy that I am here, I'm going to split a little bit. I got the Spartans winning 91-73, to um, and I think the way that they're going to do that is, Luke, you bring up an excellent point about the Spartans have played a game. They've got one game under their belt, and uh, the, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish come in uh, having played not at all yet. And uh, I think that lack of depth is really going to show up. And I think we're going to see these bigs for Michigan State really show out. And, um, I mean, if you look what happened in that one game the Spartans have played, you know, we have talked about it at nauseum. Foster Lawyer's confidence. We still have not seen the best basketball from Aaron Henry, Rocket Watts, even Joey Hauser, and Malik Hall. And you look at those guys to really get things going now in this second game of the season in the comfort of their own stadium again. So I just really look for the bigs to have a good game. Uh, you guys talk about the defense that Notre Dame plays and their lack of size. So I would really look for even a Marcus Bingham to, uh, you know, kind of maybe hit double digits. Joey Hauser, I think, is going to have an excellent game, not turn the ball over nearly as much. Joshua Langford keeps it rolling. I just think it's a wire-to-wire team win for the Spartans, never really a doubt. But um, let's, uh, let's move past that one now because we do have a second game to talk about here. Uh, Spartans traveling to – are currently number nine in the country, haven't played a game yet. 
I believe they play on Saturday. Is that correct? I think the ACC, the whole ACC starts on Saturday, I believe. But um, so, I mean, I guess this is the Champions Classic. As we know, it's a little bit of an audible tournament as, you know, it's usually held somewhere like Indianapolis or, you know, New York or something like that. Uh, Kansas and Kentucky are playing in Indy, but the Spartans traveling to Cameron Indoor Stadium nonetheless. Um, Assuming the Spartans take care of business at home on Saturday, they will be 2-0, as we all have predicted now. And um, so this Duke game is, is looking like it's going to be the first real test for Tom Izzo's Spartans here in or, excuse me, 2020. So um, I, I guess I just want to ask you guys, what's your game prediction? What do you see here? What do you see from Duke? Uh, Brennan, we'll kick it to you first. Uh, I think this is going to be uh, a pretty close game. Obviously, number nine versus number 13. I believe we're scheduled to get new rankings before the game starts. Michigan State might move up a couple spots. Well, with Virginia losing, they should at least move up one spot. Virginia lost to San Francisco the night that we record this. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting game, though. I think these are two very different teams. This is a really young Duke team versus a a rather veteran Michigan State team. I mean, Duke loses Trey Jones, Cassius Stanley, Vernon Carey, all to the NBA draft three of their top scorers last year. They returned Matthew Hurt, who I think is definitely going to have a big year this year. Um, they have a really good recruiting class with Jalen Johnson, Jeremy Roach, and uh, DJ Stewart. But, you know, freshmen are freshmen. And, you know, they're, they're going to take some time to, to get their feet wet and, and, and you know, shake off the rust and, of high school basketball and move on to the Division One level. And I think with how good of a team Michigan State is defensively, especially on the perimeter, I think they have a chance to kind of startle these freshmen and take them by surprise. Um, you know, but I, I definitely think it's going to be a really good game. We'll, we'll see what happens. You know, obviously there's no fans in Cameron Indoor, which is a big advantage for Michigan State. Um, but I think it's going to be a close one. I do see the Spartans edging it out, but I think we're in for, for a good dogfight. I'd probably have to say somewhere in the 60s and 70s, uh, a three or four point game. I'll call it at 76-73 Michigan State. Brendan, I thought you brought up some pretty good points. I have a 74-72 win for Michigan State. This was kind of one of the the games that I identified, you know, when we did our picks during the last podcast as one of those games where I said, you know, it's easy for a lot of people to just pick Duke to beat them. You know, you can talk about Coach K's success over Izzo. You can talk about – how Michigan State, you know, doesn't historically beat Duke. You can talk about last year's game. You can talk about a lot of things. But there are a couple pretty big edges for Michigan State. Both of them you, you talked on a little bit. I think the experience is a big one. Vernon Carey Jr., 18 points per game last year for Notre Dame. Trey Jones, who is kind of the head of the snake for their defense, as well as pitching in 16 points per game. That's a pretty big loss because he was a veteran leader for them as well. And Cassius Stanley, 13 points per game. Matthew Hurt, he's a 39% three-point shooter. Definitely someone the Spartans are going to want to dial in on a little bit more. But I definitely think that that experience edge is going to be big for the Spartans, you know, especially considering, you know, Josh Langford, Aaron Henry, you know, guys who have been around this program for a while, guys who've played Duke multiple times. You know, there's going to be a lot of guys running out there for Duke who haven't matched up against Michigan State once. The experience factor, I think, is going to carry Michigan State to this win as well as the atmosphere factor. You know, usually the Champions Classic game, neutral site. You know, I think this year it was supposed to be in Indianapolis or Chicago, I think. Um, But I think that not having the Cameron Crazies, not having that Duke crowd on Michigan State's back, you know, could potentially be the difference maker in this game. 74-72 is what I have. Um, You know, like I said, it's going to be a dogfight. Duke, you know, they're going to – Michigan State's going to have a more of an experience edge you know, in terms of on-court reps so far against competition over Duke. I think that's another potential edge for Michigan State. But I see them, you know, kind of pounding out a pretty close win, um, which, you know, we'll go back years from now and say, hey, they beat them at Cameron with no fans. But still, a win over Duke, you know, is something the Spartans are always going to take pride in. And I think they get one right here on Tuesday. Yeah, all great points that you guys bring up. Um, I, I will not be surprised at all if the Spartans are to pull this. Mizzo is going to have the, the fellas fired up. And I actually am going to, I, you know, I think it's going to be a dogfight. Luke, I love that word, by the way, dogfight in sports. I just, it's like, it's just like such a good, like, microcosm of what's going to happen. You got two Clash of the Titans here. I don't want to use 
fool's gold when I talk about Duke. I don't want to use that term because I'll be damned if I do. But I just don't really believe that Duke is going to be the classic Duke that we've seen in the past, if that makes sense. Um, as you guys the players they have lost here in the last offseason, uh, Vernon Carey, Trey Jones probably most notably. But I think that this is going to be a low-scoring affair. I think it's really going to be a lot about the defensive end. And I will take Tom Izzo there over Coach K, even though that's another great storyline to watch here. Obviously, Coach K with a great advantage over Tom Izzo in their careers. But I think the Spartans do go to Duke and get a win here. I'm going to say 68-64, very close one. And I think we're going to look at Josh Langford in this one after maybe maybe a, another uh, pedestrian, if you will, game against Notre Dame, you know, 10 to 15 points somewhere in there. I think he will really put this team on his back, so to speak, and carry them to victory and lead this team. Uh, he's really got that leadership and that dog in him. And I really think he's going to be the difference in this Duke matchup. I think we see a big shot from him down the stretch, a big stop by him down the stretch. Uh, and I think it's brilliant play throughout. A virtue also from Josh Langford gets the Spartans a four-point victory. Brendan? Yeah, I think you brought up a great point that, you know, you don't want to say fool's gold, but this I think you're right that this just is not a typical Duke team. And, I mean, people have said that about Duke before and they've gone to the Final Four. So what the hell right. do we know? But, right. Um, it's I so think, early, too. It's still so early to make these kind of calls. But exactly, that's the fun part. Exactly. But last year with – Kesha Stanley and Vernon Carey and Trey Jones. Duke went 25-6. and six. I think they won the ACC or finished, you know, second or something like that. And I just see this team that they have doing it again. And, I mean, we've been wrong. You know, Coach Krzyzewski is one of the best at, you know, taking advantage of one-and-dones and making them the best they can be for just one year, and then they go and make a boatload of money. But I don't think this is a Duke team that is only going to lose six games Michigan State, one advantage we didn't mention was their schedule leading up to Duke. Obviously, Eastern is a mid-major opponent, but then they go and play an ACC team like Notre Dame. Duke only, they had their first game postponed. That's going to be moved to a later date. I think it was against Elon. They'll play uh, Coppin State the day that this podcast is released uh, before they play Michigan State. Not exactly a marquee matchup for those two teams. Um, and it's, it's not going to be a lot of experience for Krzyzewski to, to look at his team and see what they need to fix prior to uh, a, a Power 5 program. Um, but I definitely think – I think we're all pretty spot on, and we, we may be homing it a little bit, saying that Michigan State's going to win. But I don't think uh, – obviously, Cedar Village, if they do win, is going gonna, is gonna to probably go crazy. But I, I don't think this would be unexpected to say if the Spartans pull out the win. You know, I, I'm going to – speak back on the time when Cedar Village did go pretty crazy. Uh, I was a firsthand witness of that craziness. Uh, I'm going to go with an interesting prop bet for the game broadcast. I'm going to set the over-under at five minutes into the broadcast when they mention the Kenny Goins shot that beat Duke in the Elite Eight in 2019. Over-under five minutes that gets mentioned would, in the broadcast. I would smash that under. I would smash I, it right now. Slant that under is coming pre-tip-off, I bet. <laughs> I was going to say, does the pregame count? Because it might be right there. Yes. If, it's, if, if, we're, counting, if we're counting pregame, I think, I think it definitely comes in there. And even if we don't count pregame, I still think they mentioned it before the 10-minute yeah. mark. Oh, Sloan, that's a great, great prop, by the way. I mean, that's like something that is, it's going to get mentioned. It's just a matter of when. But um, does anyone else have anything to mention before we wrap this baby up? I was just going to shed a little bit of light on what a roller coaster of emotions the last like two years have been, you know, Duke versus Michigan State. You think about 2018, 2019, that final four run, you know, I just mentioned the Kenny Goins shot that beat Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish. You know, that was one of those couch burning moments for Michigan State, like Mel Tucker beating Michigan in, in year one, you know, on all time high. And then you flash forward one year later to last year, you know, Duke comes to, you know, the Breslin Center. You know, I had buddies in the Izone that were there at like 4 a.m. You know, it was hyped up as something unbelievable on campus. I mean, I was just gutted when they lost, as were many other Spartans. And it's been just such a roller coaster of emotions. I just wanted to kind of check the temperature on you guys, you know, especially after last year. Uh, you know, Michigan State could potentially take that rather embarrassing loss to heart and kind of carry that into that game. I mean, there's a lot of players on that team last year that were around for that. You know, Rocket Watts still here. 
Foster's still here. Hauser watched that on the bench. Um, so, I mean, it could be kind of a redemption game for the Spartans as well. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point about uh, the change of emotions in the roller coaster. Uh, and especially not just for us fans and announcers and reporters watching it. I remember I was bored out in that game for you, Trent, as long as as well with uh, Julian Mitchell announcing that game. But also the, the roller coaster of emotions for the actual players on the team. I mean, Cassius Winston had arguably one of, I would say, his second best game of his career and that Elite Eight matchup against Duke, only behind the Michigan game and East Lansing last year, where he had, I believe, 32 points. But that was arguably his, the second best game of his career. And then the Duke game uh, last year at, uh, in East Lansing was, I believe, a week or two after uh, Zach Winston had passed away. Um, and I remember I, I, I read a story, I believe it was from Quinn of the Athletic. Uh, Mrs. Winston, Cassius's mom, was supposed to be game uh, ended up changing her mind prior to tip off and decided not to go uh, without telling Cassius. And he said to her after, you got to tell me if you're not going to come. He was all worried once he got to the game and he didn't find her. He ended up not having a very good game against Duke, you know, so a big uh, emotional roller coaster. But I think Aaron Henry, Chris Bingham, um, Foster Lawyer, Rocket Watts, a lot of those guys definitely have a sour taste in their mouth. Uh, after getting, uh, you know, slaughtered by Duke last year. And I think that's definitely going to uh, come into play. Yep, we all remember the matchup like it was yesterday. I believe it was December 1st. I don't know why my memory works like that, but I do recall. Sloan, you got something to add? I was going to say that matchup, just building upon that, that was the Vernon Carey game too. Yeah. You know, thinking about my buddies that were in the zone for that game. I watched it from my uh, Rather Hall dorm with fellow friend Nathan Stern, sports editorial assistant. Uh, didn't get the chance to make it to the game. But that was the Vernon Carey game, too. You know, thinking about the Izzone taunting Vernon Carey. Obviously, Michigan State wanted him so bad in that recruiting cycle. That added a little bit of sandpaper to that matchup for Michigan State. Obviously, they have plenty of it going into this next game because they lost. But that was also kind of an interesting element to that game last year. You know, Vernon Carey, you know, he was booed every time he went to the free throw line, booed in introductions. He was something that the hardcore Spartans really, really wanted. Um, you know, that could still live in, in the hearts of some Spartan fans, you know, maybe even the Michigan State locker room a little bit. Um, but it was just such a wild game last year and then the year before. Um, you know, this rivalry never disappoints, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the game, you know, this next game, what, what it's going to add to the chapter of this rivalry. Lots of uncertainties here in 2020. One thing is for sure, you will always get your money is worth when Michigan State plays Duke. Uh, the Blue Devils coming in and trouncing Spartans in the last meeting. And now the Spartans, I think, are saying, all right, let's go to their house without their crowd and let's just kick their ass. So we'll see what will happen. I think it's going to be a very good matchup, uh, a top 10 matchup regardless, I think, if we're looking at it. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe a, an 11 or 9 matchup, whatever the case may be. But uh, I think that's going to do it for us here on the Impact is on Trent Bally, Brennan Shabath, Luke Sloan. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, listen to my guys here on the call on Saturday tonight. For most of you listening to this, Brennan Shabath, Luke Sloan on the call, 88.9 in the greater Lansing area, or check out our stream on our website, listen live. Uh, these guys will bring you all the content pre-game, during the game, post-game. I will be in the Breslin as well. We've got, we've got guys on the inside. We're fired up. It's our first game at the Breslin. We're going to be very fired up. And also, for those who are faithful, and have listened to this podcast in the past, we usually have a mailbag segment. Uh, and next week we will get back on top of that. So submit your questions to WDVM Sports on Twitter. Stay tuned to the Twitter as well. We'll send out a reminder in the coming days. But stay safe, happy holidays, and we'll see you next week.